I start that like that? Huh? It should be on there. I well, I will. I will. Uh, I will ad lib. I could. I could do an acapella song. That's all right. I want. <laughs> There we go. Laurel sends her greetings. She couldn't be with me today. Uh, her mom went into the hospital yesterday. Um, she had a, a TIA and started having some slurred speech and difficulty uh, you know, pulling up words. And uh, thankfully, we were there. We were over there to celebrate uh, her dad's uh, birthday. And uh, her dad happened to be uh, working at the Wycliffe Center that day, and Laurel was going to take her mom to a DAR meeting that she really wanted to go to. And as they got out to the car, Laurel's mom, she's 81, I believe, uh, was, you know, she was going to drive, and uh, they got down to the car, and she just stood there, and Laurel said, well, do you have your keys? And she said, no. And Laurel is an RN, for those of you that don't know. She began to observe and say, well, why don't I drive us to the meeting? Because she was still determined she was going to go. So she starts driving and uh, is questioning her as they drive. And it became pretty clear that she was having difficulty, again, finding words and all that. So, uh, so she took her right onto the ER. And um, they lost my voice there. They did a bunch of scans, and she's doing much better. Um, it looks like it it was, again, a, a TIA. There doesn't appear to be any muscle involvement. She passed her swallow test today. And uh, her, it's interesting the, the effect that it's had. Uh, Laurel's mother translated uh, the Bible, or helped translate the Bible into the Yamanawa language uh, in Peru. And she uh, tends to lapse into Yamanawa now when she's speaking. <laughs> Uh, which is fine for her. She's communicating well, but uh, Laurel's dad and Laurel do not understand Yamanawa. So, uh, but uh, but she seems to be doing better. So we would appreciate your prayers, and uh, it's good to be with you today. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are the great I am. Uh, that no matter what we face in this life. We know that you are there. You are our rock. You are our refuge. You are our shield. And you are our strength. We just ask that in these next few minutes you might quiet our hearts and minds, that you might open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and then give us mouths to speak and hands and feet to go and do. And we'll give you the praise for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, unless you have been, uh, okay, it says I'm on, but I'm not getting any, I'm not getting any reaction here. So, there it is. Yay. All right. Unless you've been living on another planet or just don't get out much, uh, you have probably seen some version of this. Now, if you haven't seen that, you know, then go to any gift shop. Uh, and you will probably see a version of something that says, keep calm, and then fill in the blank. Uh, just go online and search on keep calm, and you will get scores of possibilities, many of them interesting. Well, there we go. <laughs> oh, just tell you when. Okay, this, this could take a while. 
All right, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just swipe like you do with an iPad, you know, when we do that. <laughs> One is keep, keep calm and, okay, you just have the knack. Keep calm and eat a cookie. I like that one. <laughs> keep calm and call Michael. Keep, keep calm and make bacon pancakes. I, I could go for that one. For those of you who are computer geeks, keep calm and press Control-Alt-Delete. If you are a Star Wars fan, keep calm and use the Force. And my personal favorite, keep calm and eat chocolate. If you search long enough, you will actually see the original, which is keep calm and carry on. Now, I first saw that uh, several years ago at my mother's house. Uh, my family is British. Uh, my grandfather grew up in Liverpool, England. And I had never seen that before. And I forget exactly what it was. Uh, it was on kind of a display rack. I don't know if it was a cup or just a plaque or whatever. But it said keep calm and carry on. And I knew instantly. One, that's a very British thing to do. And two, it probably came from World War II, because that made sense uh, given everything that was happening in World War II. But I didn't know anything more about the history of that until I began to look into it. That's really quite an interesting history, uh, because uh, Keep Calm and Carry On uh, is part of a rather large campaign that was inaugurated in 1939. As war was looming, the uh, British Ministry of Information commissioned three posters to be made. These posters were intended to boost morale among the British people in the face of World War II. The first one said, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. That one was printed and distrib uh, distributed, but it wasn't well received because it was perceived as being somewhat patronizing. Uh, as if the government was saying, okay, you guys buck it up and you're going to win for us, the political people. Uh, so that one did not go over well. The second was freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. And that one was not well received either uh, because it was perceived as too nebulous. You know, what are you talking about? Freedom is in peril. What, what freedom and, and, and how are we supposed to defend it and all of that? So, so that one didn't go over particularly well either. And then there was a third poster that was commissioned that said, keep calm and carry on. This one was intended to encourage the people in the face of a blitz or an invasion by Hitler. And this poster Two and a half million copies were produced, and it was never distributed. In fact, the government decided to ban this poster because they felt if we say, keep calm and carry on, it might make the people think that there's actually something to be worried about. I think there actually was, but uh, instead, the government ordered all two and a half million copies to be destroyed and chewed up as wood pulp uh, for the paper drive. Only a handful survived, well actually more than a handful, about 15 to 20 survived. And the poster was actually lost until the year 2000 when it was discovered in the attic of a bookstore uh, in England. And they found two copies and put them up 
And uh, then a few years later, about 15 more showed up on the Antiques Roadshow. But keep calm and carry on. Probably the most sensible message of all three of them was the only one that was not distributed. It's probably a message that the disciples needed to hear in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. We all know this story. We've heard it a million times. And if you've ever taught children, you've taught this story. It's very short in the Gospel of Luke. Mark has the most extensive uh, description of it. But let's walk through it and see what the disciples do in the face of a rather major crisis. One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. So Jesus has been at this point uh, moving along in his Galilean ministry. Uh, he's been gaining a following. His a band of disciples has been growing. As a matter of fact, when we, when we think of the story, normally we just think of Jesus and uh, you know, his band of disciples in, in the boat, uh, and we think of the 12. But if you read Mark, Mark says there were other boats with them. And remember, as you go back through Luke, more and more people are becoming disciples. So in this case, we have the 12 who are the primary focus of the story, but there are a lot of other people around in other boats as this is about to go on. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. You know, I've always wondered about that, and we'll see in, in, in a moment uh, when, uh, when we see the storm. Uh, you know, how does Jesus sleep through this? Because you know, water's got to be splashing all over. And I don't know. Uh, chances are, yeah, they may not have been in a, just a fishing boat. They may have been in a bigger boat. You know, I like how this artist uh, depicts it. Here they've got Jesus down in a little uh, you know, cubby hole. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe he was just an extremely deep sleeper. I don't know. But uh, they're, they're in the boat. And they're, they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. It says, now a violent windstorm. Actually, uh, more descriptive, a, a hurricane of wind, a tempest of wind came down on the lake. Uh, the, the Sea of Galilee is almost 700 feet below sea level. And as you can see, it's surrounded by rather tall hills all the way around. And the, the warm air coming off the Mediterranean meets the cool air. And if you know anything about weather in North Texas, you know what happens when warm air meets cool air. Uh, you know, we have fun times. And they had some fun times show up on the sea, or actually on the lake. The violent windstorm comes. It says the boat started filling up with water, and they were in danger. So they are, they are in the middle of the sea. This boat is filling up with water, and they're in danger. How much danger are they in? Well, we'll see in a moment. Because the disciples come to him, and they wake him. Again, I'm amazed there, because, you know, the boat is going up and down and back and forth, and Jesus is still completely asleep. So much so that the disciples have to come and wake him up. And they say, Master, we're about to die. Now, keep in mind that some of these disciples were fishermen. They lived on that lake. They've seen storms on that lake all of their life. These disciples are terrified, which means this was a pretty intense storm. To make a seasoned fisherman say, we're about to die. It's a bad storm. And they wake Jesus up. 
And you know what he does. He got up. He rebuked the wind and the raging waves. The other gospels say, stood up, said, peace, be still. And they died down. And it was calm. And then I love this statement. Again, the other gospels go into a little bit more detail. But Luke keeps it just very concise. He looks at them. And he says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? It's like, what were you worried about? Well, the storm. <laughs> it was all around, and the water was coming in the boat, and we were sinking, and we were going to die. And, and uh, you know, I always wonder, because, you know, you see the next verse, it, it says, whoops, sorry, I didn't do that one well. But it says, but they were amazed and afraid, and they said to one another, who then is this? He commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, I always wonder, well, why did you wake him up in the first place if you didn't expect him to do something about it? But maybe they didn't quite expect that. Maybe they didn't quite expect Jesus to just stand up and say, quiet down, and then the storm to just dissipate. But as the disciples see the after effects of this, They're afraid, and they're amazed. Now, they were already afraid, but this time it's a different kind of fear because they have been walking with Jesus for some time now, and you know they've seen him do amazing things. Remember, we, we, we've seen all sorts of things, healings, demons cast out. But now they've seen him command the weather. And in one sense, it's, you know, we're awestruck. In the next, it's almost abject terror. Who's, in whose presence are we standing? Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. A very simple little story. But what does it mean to us? Well, let's, let's think through some of the things that happen. The first thing that strikes me in this brief account is Jesus' serenity. Jesus is there in the boat. The storm is raging. Water is filling the boat. The disciples, seasoned fishermen, are terrified because they say, we're going to die here. And Jesus is fast asleep. Now, some of that you can attribute to he was probably exhausted. But there's a serenity there, too. There's a sense in which Jesus is not worried. He's not afraid. He said, we're going to the other side. Now, again, a lot of times when we, you know, when we talk about Jesus, you know, we know he is God in the flesh. But a lot of times, we focus on the God part and forget in the flesh part. He was still a human being. He was still a person like you and me. And you know, he would have still had to look at the circumstances. And, and you wonder, you know, what brings about that kind of serenity? It was a confidence that he knew God was in control. 
he knew that his father had sent him to accomplish something. And that storm wasn't going to stop that. In the face of that horrible storm, Jesus was at peace and serene because he knew who he was. He knew what he was there to do. And he knew nothing was going to change that. Even more interesting is the significance of what he did. When we think of the sea, when we think of the ocean, this is what we think. Calm, beautiful, clear crystal, you know, turquoise water, you know, snorkeling, pretty fish underneath. That I remember years ago, oh, went too far. I was teaching an Awana class, and I was talking about uh, the book of Revelation, and I got to the, well, I was talking about heaven, and, and I began in, in Revelation 21 and read this verse, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and her, first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And there was a, a little girl out in the, in the group that said, Ah, I like the ocean. You know, that's because when we see the ocean, when we think of the ocean, that's what we think about. Vacation, fun times. Back then, they didn't think of the ocean that way. They didn't think of the sea that way. They didn't think of being out on open water that way. The sea was a place of chaos. It was a fearful place. It was a place of terror. They spoke of Leviathan, the sea monster. It was a place of judgment. Remember uh, Jonah? Jonah's fleeing from God. And he gets on this boat that's going to take him as far away from where God told him to be as he just about could possibly get. And what happens? A storm comes up. And in the face of this, this huge, huge storm, What's happening? Well, all of, the, all of the sailors on the boat are praying to their gods. And they're doing everything they can to figure out you know, what's going on and, and who has brought this, this judgment on us. And they find Jonah, which is very interesting parallel, because what is Jonah doing? Uh, Jonah is fast asleep. Down in the belly of the ship. And I don't think his serenity came quite for the same reason Jesus did. You know, Jonah was trying to escape in whatever way he could, and, and sleep was a really good way to escape what he knew was coming. They come, they wake him up, they say, what in the world are you doing? You're down here sleeping, and we're going to die up here because this storm is going to blow this ship apart. Get up, pray to your God, and see if he will deliver us. Well, Jonah knows better. Jonah says, guys, I'm the reason this storm has come upon you. God has brought this judgment because of me. And if you want to stop the storm, throw me overboard. Well, to their credit, the sailors were pretty gracious. They kept trying to find a way not to throw Jonah overboard. I don't know if I'd have been that gracious. I'd have taken him at his word and say, okay, you're out of here. But they try their best, and it's, a, it's very obvious that it's not going to happen. 
And so they throw Jonah overboard. And what happens? Well, a whale swallows him, and we won't go to that part of the story. But the sea calms. Because God was behind the storm. And that's how they saw it. But now we're on the boat with the disciples. A storm has raged up. They are terrified. And then this man, this prophet that they have been walking with, stands up, and they have to wake him up too. And he says, peace be still. And the storm goes away. Who is this man? Who is this guy? That even the winds and the waves obey him. Psalm 65 speaks of God. and says, you calm the raging seas and their roaring waves as well as the commotion made by the nations. You're the one who calms the seas. The great I am. And they look at Jesus and they see he has just done what only God can do. Jesus didn't pray like the men in Jonah's boat did. Jesus didn't gather the disciples around and say, okay, boys, let's have a prayer meeting. Let's ask God to deliver us. Jesus said, peace be still. And the wind became calm. The storm went away. You calm the raging seas and their roaring waves, as well as the commotion made by the nations. In other words, the psalmist said, you're not only in control of the seas, you're in control of the very nations. You're in control of what's happening in this world. And you can calm it. I like Psalm 107 too. Uh, the last portion of Psalm 107 says, God raises up the storm. And he tosses the, the ships to and fro so that the men that are on the ships stagger as if they were drunk. And then God also calms it when they cry out to him. And he brings them to their desired haven. He calms the raging seas and their roaring waves. And then he looks at the disciples and said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? You know, a little later in the next chapter, Jesus poses a, a different question to the disciples. He says, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter blurts out, you are the Messiah of God. We know who you are. I don't think they really still fully understood for quite some time who he was. The other thing is the disciples' reaction. They're bewildered. They're afraid. They don't know quite what to do with Jesus as we go through, again, the next couple of chapters. You'll see that in the, in the fact, even in spite of the fact that they have confessed him as Messiah, they still don't seem to get it. And yet they've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him walk up to a beer and touch a dead man and say, get up. They've seen him calm a storm. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him 
heal. They've seen him feed 15,000 people with a handful of bread and fish. Where's your faith? Who am I? Who do you think I am? Am I a prophet? Oh, well. Yeah, but as with John the Baptist, far more than a prophet. I'm God. So what does this mean for you and me? 2,000 years later, what do we take away? We're facing pretty raging seas ourselves right now. Um, lots of raging seas. Just pick up the newspaper or go online and take your pick which raging sea you want. And that's not talking about the individual things that we're facing. Because every one of us, even though you may not be facing a crisis right now, sooner or later you will be. I want to talk briefly about the big crisis that everybody sees at the moment. I'm not going into detail. Don't worry about that. You know who all the players are. I have seen over the course of this process a lot of things that make me very sad. One of those is the incredible anger and vitriol expressed by Christians toward one another. This election has divided us in many ways, but I'm seeing friendships broken. I'm seeing relationships damaged because of the things people are saying and, and writing, and, and particularly on Facebook and other social media, but not just there. But that's not what I want to focus on. Another thing that I see, and I see a lot of it, well, that one's supposed to look like that, but I see a lot of fear. I see a lot of fear. I saw somebody post on Facebook, if this candidate wins, it's the end of Christianity in America. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. In fact, if you were to say something like that to somebody who grew up in North Korea, they'd probably laugh at you. They would most certainly feel sorry for you. I've seen people say about another candidate, if, if this candidate wins, it's the end of America. Well, probably not. We face a raging sea. But the one who is the master of the sea said to his disciples sometime later, I have told you these things, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Where's your faith? You see, in America we don't like uncertainty. And we don't like to be uncomfortable. And we don't like things that don't go the way we think they're going to go. I don't know what's going to happen this week. But I'm not worried. Because in that boat was the great I am. 
and in my life is the great I am, and in our community is the great I am, the Son of God. And even if we don't know what's coming, he does. He's got it under control. That doesn't mean everything's going to necessarily be hunky-dory for us. None of us knows. But we don't need to. We need to trust him. Because he's on the throne. He is the master of the sea. He is the Lord of the chaos. He is the one who says to the storm, peace be still. And when you've got Jesus in your boat, you can be sure you're going to get to your destination. What should we do? One, we should walk in love. And too many Christians have not been doing that. Too many Christians have been walking in anger. As if somehow the political vote in the United States is at the heart of our salvation. It is not. Because if I read Paul correctly, he said we are citizens of heaven. And that is our primary allegiance. I have three verses that I repeat to myself pretty frequently. A lot of times when I'm going to sleep at night, which doesn't usually take real long, I've got to be really fast or I don't get all three of them in. Uh, yeah, I tell Laurel, oh, I had problems getting to sleep last night. Yeah, she says it took you 30 seconds instead of 20. <laughs> but if I last long enough, I remember these three words. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast, that is focused on God, because his trust is in you. Where's your faith? I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. If I preserve my own safety, it is a, a shallow safety indeed. He's the one. Psalm 4.8. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. It reminds me that I'm not the one who protects myself. The master of the sea, the great I am, the Lord of all, is the one in whom I trust. And I certainly don't trust in political processes. As a citizen, I do my duty. But that's not where my faith lies. Keep calm and carry on. That's not such a bad message when you think about it. Because no matter what plays out after Tuesday, the master is still on the throne. He is still Lord of history. And if we are following him, trusting in him, walking with him, in his boat, as it were, we will get to the destination that he has marked out for us. Run with endurance the race marked out for you, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now 
sat down at the throne of God. Let's pray.